0: She'll get this one started Okay You're listening to the Bricks and Mortar Podcast I'm Jonathan Williams I'm your host of the Bricks and Mortar Podcast The Bricks and Mortar Podcast, that's a podcast about property If you've got an interest in property If you're buying, selling, renting or investing in property, then I'm sure in the next 20 or 30 minutes we'll have something that floats your boat and lights your candle. We've got a pretty busy show today. What I'm going to talk about is the paranoia of the purchase and sale transaction. If you're a purchaser out there and you're paranoid about making sure that you get a chance to negotiate on a one-to-one basis, then you want to see what's happening with the seller. We're going to talk about the paranoia of the purchasing process. We've reached the missives stage and the conclusion of the missives in the purchase process so I'm going to have a a bit about the missives and what happens once we've got conclusion and what does that mean once we've got conclusion of missives. And then tell you a wee bit about remortgaging. Um, I am a mortgage broker at Begley Brown Financial Solutions and really our bread and butter is remortgaging and for many clients who are now on fixed rates, I think a great deal of my clients and I guess the general public are on fixed rates, two years, five years fixed rates. You will have the issue of the redemption penalty and for those of you who are stuck on fixed rates in excess of well 3% or in excess of 3% then notwithstanding the fact that you've got a redemption penalty to pay with interest rates in, in two, for two years uh, being a nudge over one, 1% um, and certainly under 2% you should be able to save yourself some money notwithstanding the fact that you're going to have to pay the redemption penalty so I'm going to have a wee chat about that um, before we get started, that's we back from holiday. We had a super two-week holiday in, in Crete. It really was absolutely fantastic. Got a fair amount of swimming done. We had a pool next to the hotel and had a chance to get some swimming done. So, so that was really great fun. And I hired a bike for seven days, went into the hills above uh, where we were staying. Uh, and again, it was good just to get out there and, and soak up the sun. It wasn't too hot, it was sort of mid-thirties and it was pretty pleasant at night, but came back and ended up having to trail up to, or up to Aberdeen as a witness in a court action. And that wasn't great given the fact that we came back from holiday on the, the Thursday morning I uh, got back to, to bed at quarter to two and then ended up having to get up at four o'clock, hike on a train up to Aberdeen and uh, yeah it, I think by the end of the day I was pretty much on, on fumes so I think we'll, we'll get started um, and what we're going to talk about first of all is the paranoia of the purchase and sale transaction I did a blog post on the paranoia of the purchasing transaction. When you're a first-time buyer, you have probably not got much of a a knowledge of what the whole process involves when you're buying a property. And what you're hoping is that it will go pretty smoothly. But the problem for many a purchaser, first-time purchaser, is when they put the offer in, there's a paranoia that builds up if the offer isn't immediately accepted or if the property's just on the market and the seller hasn't come back with an acceptance the the purchaser is very paranoid that they're paranoid that somebody else might beat them to the prize paranoid that somebody else might be negotiating with the seller And many's a a time when I've been acting on behalf of a purchaser where they've asked me to increase the purchase price or or, or get me to phone the the seller where really there is no real need. It it is very much something that is peculiar, I think, to the the first-time buyer, this this paranoia um, that somebody is going to come uh, along and and steal the house from them. What I always tell my clients when I I get a a client who is a bit on the, the, the paranoid scale is to say to them, well, if they're feeling a bit jittery about the purchase, they need to put themselves in the shoes of the seller. Because the seller has probably got a lot more riding on this than the purchaser has thought about. If you can imagine, if you're a seller, the chances are you're wanting to buy. And you can't buy until A, you've got your mortgage sorted out and more importantly, that you've concluded missives in connection with your own sale. So there's many a time when I've been speaking to a seller when the seller turns round and says, well, I've had 15 people viewing my property and nobody's made an offer. The seller can be more paranoid than the purchaser when it comes to selling a property. The seller will be concerned that this the purchaser asks questions or is put off by the decor of the property, the seller is paranoid that they don't want to lose the purchaser and it's so important that the purchaser understands that. The purchaser is in the first time buyer certainly is in such a strong position that if they can get the seller into a one-to-one negotiation then really it should be them that is holding a lot of the cards as far as a negotiation is concerned. So I always say to my clients that if the property has been on the market for a reasonable period of time and by that I'm, I'm meaning three or four weeks then they should get the seller running back to them rather than the purchaser pushing it because as I say it's always so important for the purchase to understand that the seller is, a, is probably more concerned at getting the property sold than the purchaser is getting the property purchased. So if you're a first time buyer out there, stay confident, stay firm and let the seller come back to you. One of the most important parts of a purchase and sale transaction is the conclusion of the missives. The conclusion of the missives is the conclusion of the contract and once we've got a contract in place then the purchaser is obligated to pay the purchase price on the date of entry and the seller is obligated to sling their hook out of their property accept the purchase price on a specific date of entry previously agreed in terms of the missives so once the missives are concluded you'll know the price and you'll know the date of entry the missives, well they'll consist of the offer we've spoken about that haven't we uh, the qualified acceptance which is the written acceptance the interest clause which is part of the qualified acceptance and generally speaking the purchaser is not going to be concluding missives until they've got their loan papers once they've got the loan papers and everything is tiggity boo as far as the titles are concerned there really shouldn't be any further delay by the purchaser solicitors in getting the missives concluded the missives Back in the day, I guess before I started, I started back in in the early 90s, but sort of pre-90s in the early 80s when it was a case of you you went to your bank manager to get a mortgage. Missives were something that consisted of a a two-page offer with very little in it and a straight acceptance from the selling solicitors. Certainly when I started... in in the early 90s uh, the missives had then morphed into still had a two-page offer but the problem was that the two-page offer referred to a schedule of conditions and I think when I started the schedule of conditions may have had 15 or 20 clauses but then that morphed into 22, 27, 30, 35. I, I think I can remember with one set of solicitors, I think there were an Aberdeen set of solicitors, had 50 separate conditions contained within their standard clauses, and it, it just became unmanageable. And where we, we sit now is reference by and large is made to standard clauses, and there is a generic set of standard clauses that pretty much all solicitors will refer to, and that because those clauses never change, then a lot of solicitors will become familiar with those clauses, and when you get a written acceptance back having used the standard clauses, by and large, you get a qualified acceptance, a written acceptance which you should then be able to accept. So instead of missives going missive letters going back to and fro and there being maybe seven eight, nine, ten specific contractual letters making up the missives, uh, generally speaking now you're looking at maybe that being cut to three or four letters so it's trying to simplify the process but just still making sure that the purchaser is is still covered and also the seller is still covered so that's the history what i'm going to do now is talk about what does it mean to actually have the missives concluded and and what happens in the event that you don't pay the purchase price on the date of entry or the seller refuses to move out of the property. So let's deal first of all uh, with the situation, the probably more common situation where the purchaser doesn't pitch up with the purchase price, probably because the loan papers are late or because if they're having to sell a property, they've had an issue with regard to their own sale. So in terms of the missives, if it's the fault of the purchaser that they haven't paid the purchase price over and there is no issue with regards to the title which they can hide behind, then the the purchaser will be liable to pay the seller either penalty interest, uh, which is a sum based upon the purchase price, or alternatively, If the seller has significant damages, then the seller can sue and request those damages from the the purchaser. You tend as a purchaser to have 14 days in which to come up with the money. And if you fail to pay the purchase price plus the interest or the damages, within the 14 day period, on the 14th day then the seller can rescind the missive and what they can do is they can resell the property. doesn't happen very often um, but I've had that occasion happen on numerous times during my career certainly. And what the seller can then do is they can sell the property. they sell the property and they make a loss then they can claim that from you or alternatively, they can continue to claim the interest from you until the property is sold. So you'll probably now begin to understand why it is so important not to conclude a contract until you've got the wherewithal to be able to afford the property. As I say to all of my clients, Don't conclude missives until you've got the loan all sorted out because the ramifications can be cataclysmic and potentially you could end up having to pay the seller thousands of pounds because you've just been too hasty in wanting to conclude missives. So that's the case where the purchaser, has not paid the purchase price. What happens if you get a situation where the seller refuses to leave the property? Well, in most missives, what you'll find is that the purchaser is able to claim the damages as a result of the seller's failure to leave the property. On just a couple of occasions, I've had sellers who have just, for whatever reason, steadfastly refused Notwithstanding the fact that we've got missives concluded, just steadfastly refused to leave the property. And it can be a difficult job explaining to your client, the purchaser, that in essence the law is a bit of an ass. Because whilst they have got a, a, a legal right to enforce the purchase, if the seller's refusing to move, the seller's refusing to move. And really all the purchaser wants is to make sure that the purchaser gets his or her set of keys on the date of entry. Now, there should be something within each contract which states that the purchaser can sue for any losses or expenses that they have incurred as a result of the seller's failure to hand over the keys. But, But ultimately, if the purchaser... Is put in that situation no amount of money is going to uh, make the situation any better and in some cases the purchaser actually hasn't incurred any expense and so therefore if they haven't incurred any expense then they won't be able to uh, they've got no losses and so therefore no claim would be successful So there you go, I've explained what happens if you don't come up with the money as a purchaser and also the case if you fail to leave the property. It is probably the most important part of the buying process and and something as a purchaser you just really need to get your head round uh, as as quickly as possible and your firm understanding of what happens with the missives is really important. What you also, uh, just as a finish off here, what you also need to be aware of is that when you actually conclude missives, you'll find that you, the missive is still conditional upon a couple of points. And I guess it depends w- at what stage you have concluded missives uh, as to how conditional that missive is. If you conclude misses very early on uh, in the process then you'll find that your contract is conditional upon the purchaser satisfying themselves on the title deeds and also them, satisfying themselves on the searches and the searches will consist, as I've said, uh, will consist of a co-authority report, a property inquiry report and what's called a Form 12 report, which is a personal search against the purchaser and seller just to make sure that uh, neither the purchaser or the seller have got any uh, court actions, uh, bankruptcies, uh, anything that would prevent the purchaser sale from completing. Now, most of these searches are obtained well before the date of entry, but one of the searches being the updated Form 12 report which is the personal search, generally does not get obtained until either the day of settlement or the day before settlement. Normally, it's not a big issue because the final search is just an update of an old search and if there had been any issues with regard to the old search, then they would have been raised uh, at the time that the old search was obtained. But sometimes if something comes out of the woodwork between the date of the old search and the new search, then that can cause an issue uh, to both sets of solicitors and can sometimes delay settlement. So if you have missives concluded and you're in the unfortunate situation, as a purchaser say that the seller has, has something has come out, and affects the seller's ability to sell the property, then the whole transaction will be put on hold until that issue is resolved. It's one of the anomalies that sometimes you can have a contract concluded, albeit conditionally, you can have a contract concluded, but it can fall at the last gasp through no fault of either of the the solicitors. It happens very rarely. But the times that it has happened, it is not a good conversation to have because um, ultimately the the, the client uh, turns around and just can't understand why, at the last moment, uh, the transaction looks as if it is now in serious jeopardy. It is something, as I say, that I've had to do on, on a couple of occasions, and it's not a conversation to have, but it's so important that that final check is made because ultimately it is making sure that the purchaser is completely protected and also the bank if the bank are going to be lending money they want to be fully protected so it is a final check that needs to be made before the transaction completes. So that's as much as I want to say about the missives, Uh, we've got, as I say, missives concluded, we can now uh, crack ahead and see if we can get the transaction completed and we're nearing the end of our summary of the buying process. So we've got missives concluded, the next is the exchange of keys and goodness, you would think that that was straightforward But the stories I can tell you about the keys and sometimes the fiasco of when will the keys be released and uh, there not being sufficient enough uh, removal vans to remove the seller's items from the property, um, the the list goes on. So I I will keep that until next time uh, when we talk about the keys exchange and the final settlement of the transaction. For many years, I had thought about trying to qualify as far as a mortgage broker is concerned, because I always felt that as a mortgage broker and as a solicitor, the the job, the two jobs are so closely linked, especially at the start of the transaction, where you're putting offers in and you're needing to get decisions in principle, um, that it it seemed a no-brainer um, to once I had the opportunity to be able to train up as a mortgage broker, so I can offer that service to my clients so when we've got clients that are coming in to see me as far as mortgages are concerned and I explain to them that the purchasing uh, transaction involved three professionals your estate agent your solicitor and your mortgage broker and the poor client is stuck in the middle at the start of the transaction the the client has to contact the three professionals but not only that the client has to hope that the three professionals correspond and communicate with one another. And that's where I come in, where I can wear two hats, that of the solicitor and also that of the mortgage broker. And really what I'm saying to prospective clients is that if I can wear two hats at the start of the transaction then the client is going to be able to come to me and I can advise them as to where their transaction sits on a legal basis and where their transaction sits as far as their mortgage is concerned. So it means that they've only got one call to make and also there's less likelihood of there being uh, problems with regards to the communication on the basis that it's going to be myself who's communicating with the estate agent and we're not relying upon two parties liaising with the estate agents. So I've been doing that now since uh, January and um, thoroughly enjoying it uh, so much so that um, I've thought to myself why I didn't actually think about doing that 10 years ago. One of the things when we're not... uh, organizing mortgages for clients in relation to purchases. Our bread and butter, I guess, is very much the remortgaging of clients. When clients take out a, a two year fixed rate, a three or a five year fixed rate, then you know, three or four months before the fixed rate is up, we'll be contacting them just to explain to them what the current market is, uh, is producing as far as new uh, interest rates, and we have a discussion about remortgaging. Now, there are some times, especially when there is movement in the market, there are some times where you can remortgage and still save money over the long term, but have to pay a redemption penalty. If I can explain when you take out a fixed rate mortgage, you will and i'll I'll use the example here of a two-year fixed rate deal you will get your interest rate fixed for two years that's to say you will not pay a penny more or a penny less during that fixed rate period now in times of volatility as far as the market is concerned and certainly this is maybe more prevalent when the bank of england base rate was up at five or six percent Yes, for those of us with long memories, we can remember those times. And certainly when there was more volatility in the market, um, there was more likelihood of individuals, especially if the interest rates were reducing, individuals being caught on a fixed rate which was no longer competitive But they still had to pay a redemption penalty to get out. So if you wanted to get out and jump ship to another fixed rate, which was considerably less, you pretty much always have to pay an early redemption penalty. And and they can be quite chunky. It could be four, three, four, five percent of the amount that you've borrowed. I guess the banks are saying, well, if we're lending you money at a fixed rate, then we want to make sure that we get our money's worth and so therefore they put in these redemption penalties. But all is not lost if you are on a fixed rate that is uncompetitive. You certainly should be speaking to your mortgage broker if your interest rate on a fixed rate is is anywhere north of 3% or if it starts with a 3 Because with the Bank of England reducing interest rates, the Bank of England base rate by a quarter of a percent to 0.25%, a lot of the lenders have reduced their standard variable rates and also a lot of the lenders have reduced their fixed rate mortgages. I know that Nationwide Building Society were one of the building societies and banks that came out last week and reduced their fixed rates for their two-year, five-year and ten-year. So do speak to your mortgage broker if you wanted to speak to me, delighted to have a look at that to see whether or not it would be better to, to flip your mortgage and get a more competitive fixed rate deal. So I'll give you a quick example. We've got a client here who is on a fixed rate. He's on the, uh, I think, and this is probably two years, two, maybe three years ago, in fact, where he had remortgaged. He was on a fixed rate of 3.69%. And we've managed to, to source a product that, notwithstanding the fact that he's having to pay the best part of two and a half grand in a redemption penalty he's still saving 150 pounds per month on his mortgage and once you take that into account over the two-year period then you know he is still saving a considerable amount of money in it well in excess of uh, or say a good four figure sum of money so certainly all is not lost as far as you if you're in an uncompetitive fixed rate always a good idea to have a look at the redemption penalties and then speak to your mortgage broker to see whether or not there's anything that can be done and as I say if you'd like to to speak to me then you can drop me an email jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.co.uk and more than happy to have a chat to you and see if we can help you out so that's us now uh, put another episode together I'm off to go and do an interview with Morris Allen. He'll be on the podcast next week. Morris Allen heads up the estate agency side of things at Lindsay's. They're the solicitors who I've got a consultancy agreement with to to do the legal work. So it'll be interesting to take or get Morris's take on the current state of the market. Uh, His... It predominantly works through in the east, so it will be good just to get a take on the Edinburgh market. I had a bit of an exposure to the Edinburgh market over the last two years. It certainly is a buoyant market. There's a lot of good quality stock through in Edinburgh, but I do think that they are suffering as far as the stamp duty increases are concerned, and there just does not seem to be as much volume on the market there and I think because of the stamp duty a lot of people with large gardens are just rather than having to spend the, the huge amounts on stamp duty they're just deciding you know what we'll, we'll just extend into the garden and, uh, and stay put and I think that's having an adverse effect as far as the Edinburgh market is concerned The Pedal for Scotland is coming up. I'll tell you a wee bit about that. That's the beginning of September. I'm trying to raise some money from Alzheimer's. So if you wanted to donate some money to Alzheimer's, I've got a Just Giving page. So that would be great if you could throw us a couple of quid there. uh, Back to school uh, next week. So over the coming weeks and months, we'll be reporting on number one and number two and how they're getting on with their hockey. Uh, Number two, who's the younger, is starting to play on the big pitches. So we'll see how she gets on. And then number one, well, she's now gone into fourth year at school and she'll be playing against the big girls. So she's got an opportunity, I think, of, of competing for a spot in the first team. And it'll be interesting just to see how she gets on with that. In a sporting vein, I had uh, strapped on the pads and uh, had a, a game of cricket up at the Ship Inn. If you've ever been on the East Coast, uh, there's uh, a small village uh, called Ely in the East Nuke of Fife. It's probably that, Crail, Pittenweem, and, and Anstruther. There are probably four villages on the East Nuke which are very popular with uh, tourists over the summer and we had a game against the ship in which is a bit of a bounce game on the sand we're all in our whites and, and had a, a good laugh and, and they really looked after us uh, I was ending up playing for the MCC and we uh, yeah it was, it, was, it was great they did look after us and we ended up getting there was a free bar there and we had a three-course lunch before we started. Um, it was pretty. I was I was driving, and the best part about it was that we, the the whole uh, the match was sponsored by London Gin. So every time that we had a, a chance to to stop, uh, the shots of gin came out. So it was it was pretty good fun. So interviews, I'm going to go off and and see Morris and uh, see what he's got to say for himself. Um, I also wanted to have a chat with Sean McIntyre, who is uh, a chap I know through the BNI. We'll try and get him on in the next couple of weeks. He's got an interesting backstory as to what he's up to. So I'm going to call it a day here. If you wanted to get in touch with me, then please drop me a line on the Twitters, Chia Williams underscore BB. Uh, We've got the website, www.thebricksandmortarpodcast.co.uk. You can catch me there. You can catch me on the emails, jonathanwilliams at begleybrown.co.uk. Don't forget the Facebook. We've got the Bricks and Mortar Facebook. Uh, join us there on the webs it would be good to to join uh join us on the facebook so as i say i'm going to call it a day here i'm going to go and have a chat with morris and we'll get him on the show next week you've been listening to the bricks and Mortar podcast a sideways look at property